Hello, I'm Mercedes and you are listening to episode 158 of Chat Disney. the chat disney podcast and this week is one of the first episodes without my co-host tash for a little while as she has gone on a little chat disney maternity leave but never fear i will be joined today by an exciting guest co-host which i'm really looking forward to and we've got a really exciting topic lined up for you as well because in today's episode we're going to be talking all about my disneyland paris honeymoon or hen weekend which has just gone by and we're going to be spotlighting on the Friday in particular today and talking a lot about the 30th anniversary celebrations that are on in Disneyland Paris right now. And at the end of today's episode, we are also going to be giving you a review of the brand new Disney Pixar movie, Turning Red, which just made its debut to Disney+. Plus. So lots of exciting stuff to get through today. But before we head into the main part of today's episode, let's have a quick look at what's been happening in the world of Disney this week. So kicking things off today with some Walt Disney World news and there are some brand new Princess Tiana ears that have debuted at Walt Disney World in Orlando. The ears are green and have a little diamante crown. They're absolutely beautiful and I know that Tash will definitely want to get her hands on them. Some slightly disappointing news this week. Over 100 people in Florida have been arrested as part of an undercover human trafficking ring. And you might be thinking, why on earth is this being spoken about on my Disney podcast? Well, the reason that we're bringing you this news today is because four of the people that were arrested were employees of the Walt Disney Company. And moving on to our final bit of news this week, it's a very light news week. We have some Marvel news for you all. And first of all, we found out this week that Euphoria star Sydney Sweeney has been cast in an upcoming Disney Plus show, Madame Web. And this is going to be as part of the bigger Spider-Man universe, so it's probably going to be in partnership with Sony, although we don't know an awful lot about it at this point. And final bit of news for you all this week, Jared Leto said that he believes without Marvel movies and without the MCU, cinema would not exist today. And we have Marvel to thank for the fact that cinema is thriving after a global pandemic. Make of that what you will. Tash is a big cinema fan, but not a Marvel fan. So I'd be very interested to hear her opinion on this. And that's pretty much everything that's been happening in the world of Disney this week. We're now going to head into the main part of today's episode, talking all about the Friday of my exciting Disneyland Paris hen weekend. joined today with my wonderful co-host for today's episode and my very dear friend Daniel. Now he has been on the podcast before so he won't be a stranger to most of you. Welcome Dan. Hi everyone, I'm so excited to be back. It is a real pleasure. I'm excited. 
Absolutely. And no news on Tasha's baby just yet. We will, of course, let you know as soon as he is here. So the topic for today's episode is, of course, my Disneyland Paris honeymoon. And Daniel was one of my fantastic bridal party and was responsible for making this magical trip happen. So I'm really excited that we're going to be talking all about the Friday together today. That's good. I think it was such a long time coming. I think because of like the pandemic and everything being pushed back, it's meant that we've been so excited for such a long time. So for it to actually happen made it even more special. Definitely. It was quite surreal. And I think the weeks leading up to the trip were quite odd as well, because we got so many announcements that really enhanced our trip. So, you know, parades were back, fireworks were back, character meet and greets were back. You could actually hug characters, which I did not imagine would happen. We didn't have to have any sort of tests to get into France. And what was ironic is actually on the whilst we were there, the day we left, they then did the final thing, which was scrapping the having to show any COVID passes or anything. But actually, aside from that, it was such a normal experience in the parks itself, which was lovely. Apart from the odd mask, it just felt normal. And the very weird perspex in some of the attractions, but we'll come on to talk about that. Yes, definitely. There are definitely some COVID enhancements. But hopefully, if you are planning a Disneyland Paris trip, those, those changes will make you feel more comfortable about going rather than sort of deter you from going. So I guess we'll start from the very beginning, a very good place to start. I was really excited because I knew that we were going to be getting the Eurostar. I didn't really know what time it was going to be or anything until, you know, a, a week before my bridal party put together a, a wonderful pack for me because they know what I'm like and they know that I get very Uh stressed out if I've not got details. So we all met together at the Eurostar, which was, that was honestly, it sounds ridiculous, but one of my highlights was everyone sort of popping up and... and But of course, I think the thing is, with all these sorts of adventures and trips, sometimes I actually find that getting together and getting there is the most... And I said really weirdly when I got back home, I said the thing that I was saddest about was... I missed that morning when we all gathered because we had a few people stay at my house that I don't live too far from St Pancras. So we had people stay here and then get up in the morning, get excited. And that, that excitement is definitely one of my favourite bits of any Disney trip. Absolutely. And one of our really good friends who was staying with you, Dan, had never been to Disneyland Paris before. And I know that you made her watch the Imagineering series to sort of get in the mood. 100%. So we literally sat there the night before. I was like, okay, now I'm going to get you excited. Put on episode three of the Imagineering story. And actually, she said watching it meant that she then understood lots of the details of the park and the influences and the European sense of it. So, yeah, watching that, I 100% recommend anyone going on a Paris trip soon or even to Florida or anywhere, watch the Imagineering story or behind the attraction and it will get you really excited. Definitely, because I think sometimes when people haven't been to a Disney park before, there's a sort of uh, a cynicism, shall we say, of, oh, you know, it's it's a theme park, it's man-made. But you're absolutely right, Dan, watching those shows gives you such an appreciation for Imagineering as not just an art form, but, you know, a piece of engineering. It's it's architecture, it's engineering, it's creativity, it's it's, it's wonderful. And I know it's one of the reasons that you and I love the parks. It gives you a deeper appreciation because yeah great you can go to a park enjoy the rise enjoy some food enjoy it but i think it's the the details of things and the depth of it is what really makes us love it so much 
Yeah, for sure. So we all congregated outside the entrance to the Eurostar. Very exciting. And then there were a couple of surprises that happened before we'd even got into the Eurostar entrance itself. So first of all, my wonderful bridal party gave me a plushie. And this was quite funny, actually. They said, we've got something for you because we know that there's somebody you're going to really miss this weekend. And I thought to myself, yes, my dear old partner, Tash, um, how will I get through the weekend without her? She should be here. But no, that's not what they meant. They meant my husband, of course. So <laughs> I also like that your brain went from Tash to Pekin. And yes. then <laughs> Yeah. Best friend, dog, then husband. Yeah, exactly. I was like, well, who else would I miss for the weekend? But no, my husband. So they very cleverly gave me a plushie from Shop Disney of Grumpy, which I thought was fantastic. And then throughout the weekend, I had a challenge to have as many pictures as possible with Grumpy in various locations. I think I failed the challenge pretty pretty badly because I... Well, I had, had lots of challenges, to be fair. There were a lot of challenges. Um, but no, I, I kind of forgot to look at the list. That said, I carried this grumpy around with me for the duration of the trip. Yeah. You're like an on five-year-old child dragging that toy they just brought. I mean, I admire the dedication. I did. So I think that I probably got some of the pictures just by accident, just because I yeah. just had it with me the whole yeah. time. Um, so that was really fun. And I had a sash as well that said bride to be, which mm, it's not technically <laughs> true. <laughs> I don't know how much longer I can milk that one. Um, but yes, I, it was very nice. It was white and gold, which was in keeping with my wedding colors, which, I, you know, attention to detail, love it. No, it was good. I think, and also, it was a, a big thing for us is planning it because knowing, obviously, you being the queen of Disney planning trips, we had to make sure that with our plans, it was like, but what would Mercedes think about that? But what would she, would she want to do with that? And they, obviously, I know we said we coined the term honeymoon. And I think, obviously, for, for a lot of brides out there who must be having belated Hindus, it is that tricky thing of trying to balance what you want to do is if this was the Hindu we'd originally planned, so being loyal to that, but also kind of going, You've been married for a few months now. So I think for anyone out there planning, no matter what sort of honeymoons you're planning, we hear you. It's, 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 it's tricky. But I think what we tried to do is make sure that it still felt like what it would have been had this had been last March 2021 20, or 2020. 20. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what you, what, I guess uh, something that was in your advantage was I did have a bridal shower before my wedding last year. And that was an opportunity to play some of those classic sort of hen party games like the Mr. and Mrs. And um, we did a really fun thing where everybody got me a small gift and I had to try and remember who had given me what. I think that there was a link basically to our friendship for each gift. That was a really fun one. So I guess in a way that was kind of a good thing because you'd got all of those yeah. games out the way and then you could just focus on Disneyland for this trip. Okay. But what I think was also lovely, as I say, when we kind of prepped the sash and all the bits for you, obviously we were then surprised because you treated all of us, which was, I mean, true to form of planning Disney. And so then Mercedes presented this beautiful box. We're like, what's the box? And I know even on her way up on the night before, people have been like, what is that box, Mercedes? Like she's done just like do some construction work or something. And then now emerged these beautiful um glittery ears for everyone bows for the girls and mickey for the boys um and yeah it was such a cute moment and it just was they were brilliant 
Oh, I'm so pleased. I mean, the reason I wanted to do that was because there were people, including my in-laws, who had never been to Disney before. And I know my in-laws very well, and they like to get stuck in. And I thought the minute they see me and others and people walking around the parks with mini ears, they're going to want to buy some. And mini ears are not not cheap. Like They're quite expensive. I think they actually, do you know what? They actually seem cheaper in France for some reason. But in America, they, yeah, <laughs> they're normally like $30, I think. I think they're about 23 euros in France, which is about 19 pounds, which actually is cheaper than I thought they would be. But anyway... So it was really important to me that they felt, you know, included in the Disney magic, but I didn't want them to go out of pocket. So I wanted to do this for everybody. And I managed to get them from an Etsy seller who I've used a lot in the past. Um, her name is Emma and her Etsy shop is called Infinite Disney Magic. And you can find her on Instagram. It's just infinite underscore Disney underscore magic. And mm-hmm. the gold is what well, actually really needed and necessary because what we're about to talk about now is our trip from (laughs) St Pancras to to Disneyland and having 16 people wearing you know bright gold mini ears meant that you could see everybody it was great I mean it's the ultimate wayfinding I mean I know one of my biggest bugbears sometimes in Orlando is when you see these massive tourist groups with someone holding a flag and oh my god but then they do that to follow that and you can't see who's actually in the group so what was great about this is the entire weekend, as soon as we saw the ears, we could spot each other through the crowds. But it, from the moment we put them all on, straight away, we had a brilliant one of the kind of concierge from Eurostar gathered us together. And she's like, through this way. And she guided us directly onto our own secret little security bit. So I was like, great. So it kind of got us good attention, which was really good. Definitely. So because of the pandemic, one of the things that was different about this weekend was our travel to Disneyland Paris. Now, we've spoken about different options and ways to get to Disneyland Paris many, many times on this podcast. And Tash and I are no stranger to the Eurostar. It's our favorite method of transportation. You can get a direct train from St. Pancras in London to Marne Valley, which is the station for Disneyland Paris. Sometimes, especially in off-peak, that route is not available, that direct train. So what they'll sometimes do, and I know Dan and I have done this together, is they'll give you a separate train sort of from St Pancras to Lille, and then you just cross over the platform and hop on a train from Lille to Marne Valley. Now, because my bridal party had booked that direct train, and you'll have heard Tash talk about this on last week's episode, what happened was Eurostar said, what we're going to do is we're going to put you on a direct train to Paris, Gerdenor, and you'll then have to get the RER to Marne Valley. Now, this was, well, if I had to <laughs> summarize it, trying to get 16 people yeah. off of the train at Gerdenor, through Gerdenor, down to the RER, and then it's not just one tube, it's two. It was I think that was... Yeah, I think obviously when we knew this happened, I kind of said to myself, just so you know, this is what we're doing, just to kind of give it a heads up. And I'm quite a good train person. I, I like using trains and figuring it all out. So it was, it was. I would say actually, somebody if I was traveling as a couple or as a small group of friends, actually, it wasn't actually that bad. It's probably about the equivalent of arriving in London and then having to get a train kind of a little bit of the underground and then go out to say sorry say if you were doing a full park version in reverse so it was about 45 minutes over 
anyone thinking about if you're saving a bit of money in the future on another trip and you want to kind of look at that as an option, it is completely doable. Um, but yeah, with 16 people, I think that was our interesting thing of during kind of French rush hour, trying to split across trains. So it was, and they kind of come pretty fast and you've got to get on those trains quickly and run. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, the, you know, different people of different abilities and walking speeds and that kind of thing. And, you know, you turn around and someone's gone missing because they've gone to the toilet. It was <laughs> it was a lot to try and get 16 people to Disneyland in, in this way. Um, but we we adapted very quickly, as you say, we had, you know, it was we had kind of three doors earmarked, excuse the pun, when the train would come. And, you know, there were a couple of occasions where we'd arrive on the platform and there was a train there and we said no we're going to wait for the next one you know there's people still coming down the escalator and so I think patience was what was needed Um, and then obviously departing the train we would kind of you know stop before is when we'd start gathering the bags and getting ready for the door because we knew how long it took to get 16 people and 16 suitcases off of this off of this RER train I think what's funny for me is one of the things I love about RER trains and I've always loved about them is the fact they've got the upstairs and the downstairs, which I think is genius and we should 100% have in the UK. But then when you're thinking, oh, 16 people with suitcases and they really do pull when they go. So I was like, we're trying to get upstairs. I was like, yeah, so think about that if you do choose that option good for a day Definitely. trip yeah and as you say if it's if it's couples you know like if if I was going with grumpy or like it was just you and I or you know a small group of friends and you were quite quick it, yeah. it, it wouldn't be an issue but definitely you know if you're listening to this podcast and you've got small children and buggies and things like that look at the cost but I think for yeah. just ease you probably just want to get the direct train if it's available it is it is running again now um sod's law the week after we yeah. get back it's back it's <laughs> i must say the actual eurostar team and everyone from check-in through to the staff on board everyone was so friendly and so brilliant and it kind of a nice that we love traveling with, with eurostar and it kind of just really reminded me just how how much of a lovely experience it is Definitely. And and my sister, who was kind of our our lead passenger, um, she was very worried about collecting the RER ticket. If you are doing this in the future and it's because of a cancelled train or anything like that, the Eurostar team was so accommodating. My sister and I got there about 15 minutes before everybody else just so she could sense check what was going on. She already had our Eurostar tickets printed in a folder, but she needed to collect the RER tickets because they were complimentary due to our original train being cancelled. And she just went over to a member of staff and they handed them to her, no questions asked. That all they needed was the booking reference. So it was a super seamless operation on behalf of Eurostar. Thank you, Eurostar. Thank you very much. This podcast is not sponsored by Eurostar. <laughs> <laughs> so then it came to arriving in Disney Village. And this was an interesting one. So a couple of the group, I think you included in that, went ahead. Yes. yes. Yeah, and this was because, you know, at this point we did realise that trying to get 16 people anywhere is quite time intensive. And our goal for the first day was to get to the hotel as quickly as possible. I didn't know Um, hotel at that point. For sure. And I think one thing I would say is as a recommendation, if you do have a trip where you're coming in later, I'll say any time post two, absolutely purchase the opportunity to drop your bags at Marla Valet and take them to your hotel. So your tickets will be there, you can go straight into the park. So it's one thing that I would absolutely recommend for all trips to Disneyland Paris, because time is short. If you're only doing two days or three days, you want to use every hour and minute perfectly. So always add that onto your trip. 
Yeah, definitely. And this was something that I guess we've learned collectively as a group. We didn't anticipate. Yeah. I mean, I've I've done that shuffle from the train station to the hotel, drop the bags off, get into the park many times. And I would say round trip for me, if the queue is short at check-in, no more than half an hour, right? Yeah. 16 of us and where it's a big booking which means that the booking itself is more susceptible to issues which we did encounter it took a lot longer so I think we actually arrived at Marla Valley at about 2 30 yes. and we optimistically thought that we would be in the park by no later than 3 30 we thought an yeah. hour maximum right uh so Dan, Annika and my sister went ahead to check into the hotel and we'll talk a little bit about that experience in a moment. I was with the rest of the group and we were navigating through security to Disney Village and we then encountered another issue that I've never had before on a Disney trip, but definitely bear this one in mind if you are going for a hem weekend. Lots of the party bought Prosecco with them and we enjoyed some Prosecco on the Eurostar, but we also had additional bottles for the room and also the journey home. So what happened was we got to security and obviously that security is not just the security for the village and the hotels, it's the security for Disneyland Resort. And you are absolutely not allowed to bring alcohol into either the Disneyland Park, the Walt Disney Studios, or even the Disney Village area. So what happened was the security told us that we either had to surrender the alcohol or go and get a shuttle. And we'd already wasted quite a lot of time at this point. Whilst Dan, Annika and my sister had gone ahead to check in, lots of us had gone to the toilet, got some food, people were hungry. We'd already wasted a lot of time and I wasn't prepared to then queue for the shuttle. Didn't know how long that was going to take. We wanted to just walk as quickly as possible. So I put up a pretty good fight. And I managed to convince the team at Disneyland Paris to assign us a security guard to walk <laughs> through the village with us to sort of just make sure that we weren't going to start drinking Prosecco down Main Street USA and that we really were going to the hotel. Now, this felt very unnecessary. We were a large group with suitcases. It was very obvious our intention, but I totally understand that that's Disneyland's policy. And I'm just very pleased that they were able to make it work in the yeah. end. It's a funny one, really, because in my bag, I had two big bottles of, like, one water, one of Fanta, and I think, but they didn't bat an eyelid. So I think it's one of those tricky things. Actually, if you really wanted to take something in, it's not hard. I think it was more the sense of, like, big bottles of that's something what they're looking for. Yeah. So it made sense, but they were they were fine about it. Um, and luckily, we didn't get too long until we got to our hotel. Yes. So I had already kind of tried to suss out which hotel we were going to. And I think I'd whittled it down to three. Uh -huh. So <laughs> when I got my bridal party pack through, one of the items that it said I needed to bring with me was swimwear. So straight away, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be a hotel that has a swimming pool. And I knew that the Disneyland Hotel was closed, so that rules that one out, plus it's hella expensive. So that leaves the Hotel New York, the Sequoia Lodge, and the Newport Bay. Now, I knew that Tash was the primary organizer of this trip, and she has only stayed at Sequoia Lodge. So I thought... From a selfish perspective, <laughs> she's not going to book Sequoia Lodge. It's the last hotel that I stayed at as well. She's going to want to spice things up a bit. So I didn't think it was Sequoia Lodge. That left the New York and the Newport Bay. Now, New York used to be my favorite hotel, actually, at Disneyland Paris, but it's had the Marvel refresh. Yeah. And I really want to stay there with the new Marvel overlay just out of curiosity. But 
it's probably not my first pick. And I knew for a fact, and any of our listeners will know this, there's no way in hell that Tash is booking a (laughs) Marvel-themed hotel. It's just not going to happen. So that left the Newport Bay, which is one of my absolute favorites, probably my favorite right now. Love the Newport Bay, the theming. So I I really believed it was the Newport Bay. And if you tuned in last week when Tash was going through plans, you'll know that my guess was correct. And we were staying at the Hotel Newport Bay. It's one of the hotels that I love the most. I've stayed a few times now. And I think from the moment you walk in, it's actually one of my favorite Disney smells, where it's that kind of sea salt. I actually once got a candle that smelled like it. And it was like from TK Maxx. It was really rogue, random candle. But I was like, this is a Newport Bay club smell. Um, And it's lovely, I think, for fans who may want to dream of saying that the the yacht and beach club in florida i feel it's actually very much on par with that level of decor detail experience but actually about half the cost so if ever you ever looking at those as a florida option actually having that resort stay in paris is is brilliant and actually i think the, the theming and the quality and the actual maintenance of the hotel was extremely impressive so yes well done newport bay club Definitely. And I think also it's worth bearing in mind. So it is a four-star hotel, but it is the largest hotel at Disneyland Paris. So (laughs) your rooms may not be near each other. It might be quite difficult to navigate. So if you are thinking of booking this hotel and you have any kind of mobility issues or you've got prams and buggies and things like that, and you don't want to be walking quite away to get back to the lobby, maybe just pay a little bit extra for a more central room or just see if you can request one when you check in. It wasn't a problem for our party, but it's just something I'm aware of if, if, yeah, you are less able-bodied and the check-in procedure was great and actually one thing i was really happy about is that magic passes are back or they're called them obviously in florida called keys uh your keys to the world um but it was a sense that now your entire ticket is on one plastic card a credit card style and that will be your part ticket for your dining reservations for your breakfast for your room so it's all in one pass back your name on so i mean i don't think they've done these in paris for at least 15 if not more years i remember when i was younger having them but then it very much got ruled out with your paper day ticket and then your plastic returnable room key so actually it was really lovely having a proper physical card back really that's one of my favorite things yeah, I don't think I've ever had it at Paris before. I remember the key to the world in Orlando. And funnily enough, this is how long it's been since I was in Orlando. <laughs> That's what I had on my last trip. I never got to experience magic bands. And now everything's on your phone anyway. But I think I am going to purchase a magic band just so I can have the experience. Just for the experience of yeah. having it. And yeah. I was laughing because you can do it on an Apple Watch as well now. So your uh, Apple can be, I was like, no, so I'm going to have like two. Right? Two, Yeah. Exactly. But no, I think um, I remember when I went to Orlando in 2012 and and the key to the world was quite a new concept to me then. And I remember just being blown away by it. And I'm really pleased to see that we have that in Paris now. It it made for a much more seamless experience. So check-in itself was handled quite well. But there was a slight issue with our booking, Dan, wasn't there, that the group were trying to keep from me, but my my ears were flapping away like Dumbo because I knew something was wrong. It was basically a sense of we had planned our own rooms. Obviously, when the booking had gone through, we had, they had assigned who was in what room. We had obviously planned slightly different room combinations, so it was a bit of a, oh, my God, how do we fix this? But luckily, 
being a Disney pro myself, I said, it's all fine. So I just, we got the tickets, we split everyone up, put everyone in the right combinations, and then it was nice and seamlessly done. So there's always a solution. And obviously the Disney staff are always going to try and help you fix these sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. So all, all that it meant was some people had the wrong name on their, yeah, on their magic key card, whatever it's called, magic card, magic pass. Selfishly, I did arrange it so that I still had my own name on my past. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first priority. Of course, I had my own name as well, so I was very happy with um, this, the, the way that you worked. It all worked out really, really well. Awesome. So that was our check-in experience. Once we had done that, once bags were dropped off, we just dumped them in one room um, so that we could quickly get to the park. We walked as quickly as we possibly could, and the plan was to watch the 4 p.m. parade but unfortunately, we didn't arrive in the park till about 4.45. So this check-in experience did take quite a long time. And because we missed the parade on the Friday, it did have repercussions for our Saturday, which you will hear all about in next week's episode. We are just focusing on Friday for today. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think we got we were getting down to the park. And we were like, oh, no, we could just see the end of the float. But yeah. <laughs> it was fine. And actually, I think walking into the park and obviously we were there for the first week of the 30th celebrations, which was brilliant. So obviously our route down to the park, the banners have come out. Obviously, we we're all obsessed with the 30th logo. I think it's one of Disney's finest bits of clever design work, even to a point as a Obviously, Mercedes and I both worked in marketing. We were like, this is brilliant. This is genius. But even to a point that some of our group, not until the end of the trip, realized that it was both Mickey and the 30th, or some of them saw the 30, but not the Mickey. And anybody went, oh, my God, when they then saw it. So I thought it was just a, a genius bit of graphic design work. But, yeah, the entranceway to the park was all decked out, looking lovely. And I think the actual aesthetic they've gone for is really beautifully done, actually. I do as well. I think it's one of, I, th I think it is my favorite Disneyland Paris anniversary from an aesthetic perspective. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. And you're absolutely right, um, Dan. I loved how we, we have a, a friend who said, I did think that was a weird way to write 30. And I did, that, that was really humbling and heartwarming and like just all kinds of amazing. One thing that I will say just about, you know, our, our walk to Disneyland Paris to the park that was quite interesting from a new visitor perspective and I think we probably will do an episode in a few weeks time that is with some of those people from the group who had never been before because it would be fascinating to hear what they thought <laughs> but my mother-in-law when we were just about to leave the hotel she said oh so where is the parade thanks you know we're all saying we need to get there for the parade she said oh is it in the park that we just walked through and I said no no that's not the park that's just the shopping and she was like that's just the shopping and I was like yeah you haven't been in <laughs> yet and she was like oh my god I thought that that was Disneyland so that was quite extraordinary I, mean, I, think, she thought, I think if she thought Disney, Disney Village was in any way the standard of a park I mean the actual park must have blown her mind <laughs> I think it did I really believe that it did but then on the other hand we have a friend called Amy who had never been before and her experience was different she was walking through the village thinking this is awful. I don't know why they're so excited about this. And I'm actually really pleased, and we haven't spoken about this on the podcast yet, yeah. but Disneyland Paris have just announced that they are redoing the village. It's going to be a sort of five-year project because obviously they can't just close the whole village. Um, yeah. Those renovations are about to happen. Thank God. Embarrassing. I think obviously when <clears throat> downtown Disney in Florida became Disney Springs, 
that was actually quite a surprise transformation because there's nothing actually wrong with downtown Disney. It was actually quite lovely. They just wanted to refresh it. But I think actually we walk through the village and it just feels this very odd stagnated sense of the, the colours, these lights that haven't worked since about 1997 and lots of like empty lots or they're basically the same. It used to be the beauty of like every store was different and you were like, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's clothes, that's art. And actually it was probably about the same, I'll say 30 pieces of merchandise just rolled out. And then, and it's hard, obviously we'll, we'll speak later about dining and stuff. And I think the tricky thing is when the park's closed, your dining options are quite limited now. So I think it, it's definitely in need of a bit of TLC just to, because for a lot of people it is their first impression. And it's also, if you're staying on property, the, you walk through it every day, at least twice a day. So it does need to kind of have that stronger sense of consistency from park through to resort. Because everything else is lovely either side, it's just caught in the middle. I completely agree. And I think that one of the ways that they have addressed this in Disney Springs, in Disney Town, in Shanghai as well, which is obviously the newest yeah. village, is having stores that sell Disney merchandise but aren't Disney. So things like having a Crocs, having a yeah. Sephora, having a Pandora... I think that's the way to go. Yeah, and obviously if you walk up further to the, the kind of shopping outlet place slightly, um, is it Val de Europe? Yes. But like, I think that's slightly out of the way, because I think as a normal guest, you wouldn't know that's there. So I think it's about a sense of bringing that and just painting those god-awful, like, weathered red walls, I think. Those yeah, walls. <laughs> definitely. It definitely needs a facelift. So after walking through this area, we did arrive in the park, as you say, and we just caught... The last float, we saw Christoph, Anna and Elsa waving goodbye behind some closed doors. It was it was very, very infuriating to miss it that quickly, but there we are. So we walked down Main Street USA together as a group of 16. And first point of call was, of course, my two favourite attractions. I said, come on, let's just do it. We can all do it as a group. So my priorities for the day were Pirates of the Caribbean and Phantom Manor because I knew that we could do it yeah. together. Um, so we headed to Adventureland first. It was lovely. I think what was quite fun is it, the weather was a bit not the best on Friday, but actually that sense of walking through it and I think event, if you're going to be anywhere in a row and go to Adventureland, it feels quite atmospheric. Um, and walking around all of our ears and then going through it, it was just fun watching members of the group who hadn't been before, just taking it all in and being, oh my goodness, just just seeing it all. And I think that was just such a, it was a lovely thing. It's, it's obviously with us old, old timers going a million times, you kind of forget there is that magic. And I think obviously we're both lucky that later in the year we get to take our partners equally to Florida for the first time. So I think it's been quite fun for us to have that experience twice this year. But yeah, seeing everyone walking through to Adventureland and going, oh my God. And even the fact when we went into the line for Pirates of the Caribbean, the group who had never been before were like, this is just the line. And they were just amazed. Obviously, we're going through the cave and you hear the music begin. And they were just like, this, this, what? I was like, yeah, this is just, we're not even on the ride yet. It's just yeah. the... And the restaurant as well, that blew their minds as well, that there was a restaurant in the attraction. So that was really amazing. And we did Pirates of the Caribbean together. And if you do follow Chat Disney on Instagram, you'll have seen the photo. We managed to fit all 16 of us into one boat. I think if there'd been a person more, we probably wouldn't have fit. It was very squeezed. I was actually very impressed with all the cast members. And I think 
I was very aware that I think now that America side of Disney have got involved more with the Paris operations, I feel the general sense all the cast members in Paris have started having that, the kind of sparkle of magic that the American hosts do and cast members do. And they're like, yeah, completely, that's fine, that's your boat. And every request I ask for it to be at the back of a ride or at the front or in a certain combo, completely accommodated it. So it was good. But I think, yeah, with Pirates being our first ride, the group for us who love Pirates just started screaming, did water smell, water smell. And everyone else was like, what are you talking about? I was like, there's the, the smell of the water. So for those of you, if you know, you know, it's definitely one of those things. Yes. Because our friend Amy was like, what smell and it was like no it's just it's just a smell we can't explain it smell it's just a thing it's really weird with the smell because i remember talking to you about it years years ago i remember saying to you like oh you know that nice smell and you were like yeah but now it's kind of become a thing in the disney community um which is crazy i love it and what makes me laugh is when certain companies try to emulate the smell of the water and i'm like it's just chlorine. So you're never yeah. going to have like a bleachy candle. <laughs> yeah. Because when you really give it a proper sniff, you're like, oh, wait, that's just the chemicals that are keeping it fresh. So I was like, don't think I really want that burning in my home. If you do want it, just get a bit of bleach, put it in your sink, <laughs> give it a mix and just sniff that. There Not you go. But you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Just ke- chemicals to keep things clean. But no, that was a really special moment. Everybody together on Pirates of the Caribbean, as I say, it was an attraction that was super accessible to everybody so we could do that together. We then made our way to the far side of Frontierland and we rode Phantom Manor again collectively as a group of 16. Everybody could go on that attraction. And it was quite interesting after to have the discussion with the new people and say, you know, did you prefer Pirates or Phantom Manor? And I think my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law, Lucy, and our friend Amy, they all preferred Pirates. But my sister-in-law, Katie, preferred Phantom Manor. She loved the whole narrative and like the lift setting you up for the ride and coming out of the lift and being like wait again we're not even on the ride yet the detail and she really appreciated that and we definitely i think sometimes take those sorts of things for granted now like going to stretch into room for the hundredth time i'm like okay right okay but actually again for seeing people who have never experienced it before and the magic of it all i just again that was i think the most special thing of the trip for me was just sharing that with people Yeah, and I want to just stay on um, Phantom Manor for a moment as well, because for you, did you notice any changes from the last time that you were in Paris? Yeah, on on Phantom Manor in particular, I think it was quite interesting to see that the narrative and the magic, just little touches of um, Ravenswood and how it was the story and the portrait worked a lot better and she faded. Um, and then the voiceover as well was new, which was good. So it's actually lovely to have it um, in English as well now. So it meant that some of the the narrative from the uh, what we know is the story could make more sense. And I think that's a good thing. So I think actually it's one of those attractions that you need a little bit of a speaking to with the dual language because when it's seen completely in French, I, I think it is a bit more lost. And one thing I noticed this time, I don't know if it's always been there, it probably has, but in the graveyard scene, there's a mayor of the town and he tips his head off and actually he says, welcome foolish mortals, but using the American classic Disneyland dialogue. So I thought, well, that's nice detail. But yeah, been, I think it's Vincent Price who is now doing the kind of onboard narrative. Not He's got one of those very classic, like, hello, like horror voices and very classic actor of that genre. So yeah, it's a nice little detail to have him on board. Yeah, I, I have been on Phantom Manor 
because I think they made those changes for the 25th anniversary and I have been on it, that version. But it's really remarkable you mentioned the mayor because that really jumped out at me, that mayor as well. And I was like, oh, the mayor's saying that. I don't remember the mayor saying anything. So I think you're right. I think that that's been added because I certainly didn't remember that from the first time that... I, yeah. I went on it, or the, the last time I went on it. Um, and I agree. I love the new portraits in the stretching room. I love that, you know, we always had this issue with Phantom Manor where it had a different name. Yeah. And it looks completely, I mean, all of the, the haunted mansions around the world look different, but it, it looked very different. It had a, a different narrative, but it was, for all intents and purposes, the same ride. But I feel like the changes they've made now are subtle enough that the ride is the same for those that loved it but distinct enough now that Phantom Manor really holds its own against Phantom Manor. And I would say it's fair to say they are different experiences now. Um, nice. Oh, so after we rode Phantom Manor, I wanted to do more rides. I was, you know, rides, rides, rides. What else can we do as a collective? But at this point, there were certain members of the group that were getting very, very hungry. Lots of people would ask if we could stop for food before Phantom Manor. And I'd said, no, we're going on Phantom Manor. And after Phantom Manor, there was a lot of, I'm hungry, I'm tired. You know, we had only done two rides, but we had had this adventure that started at 8 a.m. at St Pancras. Yeah. At this point, it was, you know, almost 7 o'clock in the evening. People were cranky, people were hungry. And we had a bit of an issue here. And this is something that Tash and I spoke about the last time we went to Disneyland Paris. And that's the fact that if you travel off peak to Disneyland Paris, you're really going to struggle to find food in the evening that's open. A lot of the food places, the quick dine places in the park close at like four o'clock just before the parade starts. I don't know why, but they do. So we tried Hakuna Matata. We tried the El Fuerte de la, whatever it's called. They were all closed. So in the end, we all had to make tracks and go to Main Street USA because we knew that something would be open on Main Street USA. But And then by the time we got to Main Street USA, people really, really, really were hungry. It's such a shame because obviously, like, I love a bit of Casey's Corner. It's fine. It's the... If you run out of every other option, you know it's going to be the reliable, get a hot dog, get some fries. But it is a shame that actually when you go through Frontierland, there's actually, on that kind of walk from Phantom Manor up to the end, you've actually got four dining options all the way through. And every single one I've said, oh, temporarily closed, closed, closed. And I think one thing that kind of frustrated me, which is something they do need to fix, is on the app, it displayed everywhere as being open. So actually we were just wandering aimlessly around up and down Frontierland and into Eventland trying to find something. And on the app, it was like, open menu. Got there just shut with no notice. So it kind of obviously had a couple of vegetarians and vegans in the group. So it kind of narrows your options down more and more and more. And obviously, it's not just the food. It's the seating area. It's the somewhere to actually sit inside. So it's definitely, I, I get that we were slightly off-season, being in the, um, in the early spring. But I still think regardless of that, it was still a busy time in the park. It's the 30th anniversary. It was the first weekend. I just think having a couple more places open. And I've, I mean, I've experienced that my last two trips to Disneyland Paris as well, where, and it's just, I mean, I've always, I know as we've discussed, always had a slight bugbear with Paris's food options being meant to be the culinary capital of the world and have good choices. And it's just one thing that they've just never quite got right in terms of how they do it. 
I agree. And what I would say about this trip, and, and this will come up more and more over the coming weeks as we talk about each day, but I was really impressed by the snack option in Disneyland Paris this time. Yeah. I definitely think the food's got better, but this issue of availability is one that clearly hasn't been addressed. It's so frustrating. I can't even imagine having hungry children and being in that situation. All I can say to you, our listener, is make sure you've got snacks at the ready, you know, Nutri-Grain bars, Nature Valley bars, snack bars, crisps, things like that in a rucksack, because it is really difficult. You know, it wasn't super late. I think it was half six, seven o'clock at this point, And we could not find a single place that was open. So as Dan said, we ended up in Casey's Corner. I'm not a big fan of Casey's Corner in general. I don't like Frankfurters. So I yeah. ended up just having some curly fries. I wasn't one of the members of the group that was really, really hungry. Um, I've actually just had wisdom tooth surgery and I've been really struggling with my mouth for a few weeks anyway. So eating is not my favorite thing to do right now. So I was very happy with some fries, but you know, you mentioned the vegetarians, the vegans in the group, it was quite difficult for them. I think there was a vegan hot dog at Casey's and a few of them had that, but it wasn't, you know, it's difficult at that point. You're just, you're so hungry. You just eat anything. And listeners that have been with us for a long time will know that this is how the Hakuna Matata salad came about. Uh because Tash and I were so hungry and the only place that was open was Hakuna Matata in Adventureland and the salad was the only thing they had left because they were closing up for the day. So, you know, I would say we, for us, it was kind of unavoidable because we were arriving in the park late and we didn't want to waste time getting food as soon as we walked in. But if you are going to be trying to get food, you don't have a dining reservation and it's getting towards park closing, you are going to have really limited options. So yeah, just be just be careful and kind of factor that in. And again, I'm just hoping that in the coming months or so, Disney do improve that app and kind of bring it in line with the other versions of the apps around the world where it just gives you very clear, open and closed. Because that's all you need to know. It's just about wayfinding. Yeah, absolutely. And by the time we'd sort of eaten, a few of us managed to get a table inside Casey's. My mum, my aunt and a few others that really needed to sit down had a table outside. And unfortunately, it started chucking it down. It was pouring with rain. It really was pathetic fallacy. We were cold, hungry. It was, it was, yeah, not what you want after a long trip. But we thought to ourselves, let's just sit. Let's just chill out. Maybe do a bit of shopping before the crazy crowds at the end of the day and try and get a good spot for the fireworks and I was really excited because in addition to the Disney fireworks we also had the pre-show which was Disney Delight which is especially for the 30th anniversary and it's the first time ever that Disney are using drones in a nighttime spectacular so I was really excited about Disney Delight. However when we got to the drones they didn't make an appearance which was a disappointment um, and obviously we kind of asked around tried to find out and they said oh it's because of the wind and we thought you know what makes sense rain it was a bit stormy we were like okay but obviously then we then afterwards found out it was uh because of russia so great yeah so i think france had closed their airspace for some military action or something i don't know an awful lot about it if you want to know more about it there is a disneyland paris facebook group that we often talk about on the chat disney podcast and all of the details for why french airspace was closed are on there so no drones for us but the fireworks were just as magical as ever before and i think dan i think it was your first time seeing these fireworks right yeah and controversially i didn't enjoy them um i think for me 
because I've seen shows such as like Disney Dreams when that was um, in Paris, Happy Ever After in Florida, The Magic, The Memories, New, those sorts of projection shows. Obviously, Disney in recent years have kind of gone more towards reliance on projection lasers and water and just using the fireworks to kind of highlight that. So, I mean, obviously, it's a cost-saving exercise for them because it means they're not spending hundreds of thousands of dollars or euros a night just on fireworks but still getting an amazing effect that only they can do with the projections. Um, but for me, I think because what I love about projection work and 3D mapping is when it uses the structure as the fun thing. So obviously if you've seen Happily Ever After, and even Disney Dreams did this, where the castle itself was thing. So if it was like Dr. Facilier and it was like all the cars like towers and turrets going up and down and gears, or when it was Aladdin and it was all the cars with little like chaser lights and flashing, whereas this version of the show, um, Disney, it was, um, what was it called? Illuminations. Illuminations was very much just projecting scenes from Disney movies. So it was like, here's just, basically it was like mini versions, like The Little Mermaid, The Lion King, kind of through the whole story. So there was less of a sense of using the castle in a clever way. And I was going, I just can't work this out. What, why is this not, like, why is it not like how it has been? And Disney Dreams, obviously, the story of Peter losing his shadow and, Wendy and Peter Pan going through all the different Disney films. So there was a narrative that kind of makes the emotion stronger, whereas this was just watching scenes. And as soon as they started projecting Emma Watson's face in the cast, I was like, no, I'm, I'm done here. Like, I'm out. <laughs> I was like, this, the Star Wars scene was brilliant, and I absolutely loved that. But I just think without a narrative, and then obviously then Mercedes then told me afterwards that it's because it's actually a transposed show from Shanghai, so obviously afterwards did a bit of research, what's the Shanghai version? And once you've got a castle that's three times as wide, three times as high, surrounded by a lagoon in front of it. And actually a lot of Disney Illuminations relies on water. And actually there's lots of scenes where someone's splashing water or water going up. And I was like, there's a lot of water in this. And obviously in Shanghai, because the moat's directly in front of the castle, you can do more kind of like world of colour or... Um, Epcot style or Fantasmic style where you can project on the water. So there's a lot more of those effects that you can't quite achieve in Paris. So, yeah, so for me, it was a bit of a disappointing show, but I think that's purely because I've been spoiled with, like, obviously Disney Dreams was massively award-winning in terms of entertainment and stuff. So, but everyone, again, who hadn't ever seen them before was completely blown away. So if you've not been to the parks before, it's the first time you've seen it, or even if you've not seen it for a long time, it is still genius and the technology is second to none. But for me, that's my, that's my little review. Yeah, I think spoil is the word because I I had a similar experience. So Disney um, Illuminations in Paris, the, the show that's playing at the moment, that came out for the 25th anniversary of Disneyland Paris. Yeah. And I went with my husband, Grumpy. And as soon as it started and, and Mickey was, you know, tumbling around and opening doors and flying around on a butterfly I knew immediately I said this is the Shanghai Disney Ignite it's just it's the same show now yeah. I'm very aware that there are not very many people in the world that will have done Shanghai and then done Paris I, I get yeah. that it's very random yeah but I have and for me I had the exact same experience as you where it just doesn't work on the Paris castle it's been designed for Shanghai and yeah. I had a similar very again very very spoiled very privileged experience with World of Colour Tash yeah. said to me oh my goodness World of Colour is going to blow you away you've never seen anything like it it started and I 
thought to myself, well, I have, because this is what they do for the Shanghai shows. They project yeah. on water. So because I had had that amazing experience of Shanghai, it kind of did detract a little bit from World of Colour, and it certainly did here. The Emma Watson scene is an interesting one because they added that in after. So yeah. when I first saw Disney Illuminations in, God, when was it? 2016, 2017. It did not have that. And then when yeah. I went in 2020, it had been added in, and I was really happy because I was like, oh, my God, they're adding new content. Watching it now in 2022 when that movie is not one of my favourites. It's got a bit of a bad reputation because of Emma Watson's portrayal of Belle and the autotune and everything. It didn't feel... It was timely the first time I saw it. It felt really... It dated the show because yeah. that movie's not classic in the same exactly. way that... It's it's not even because it's live action because the Star Wars and the Pirates of the Caribbean yeah, are my favourite bits. It's, it's because it's not classic. And it doesn't really work. In the sense that when Star Wars moment was like this... The Millennium Falcon flying out, pirates moment was ships in the battles, whereas actually it was just projecting their faces. It was just, and it's a shame. I and mean, when you've got modern property like Moana and stuff like that, which again they they did rely on in the past, or Brave, and there's Tangled even. Like there's so many more Princess and a Frog, like the modern moments that just really work well musically and aesthetically. So to kind of yeah, do those felt like a bit of a misfire, and obviously that we did inevitably had a. 10-minute scene from Frozen. And I was like, why not Frozen 2? And I kind of really wanted them to start seeing, like, Into the Unknown as they do in Florida. Or, like, I was like, come on. Like, so it's 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 hard because they can update it. So I think I was, I was sort of hoping that they were going to update that for the 30th. But hey-ho, they had to delay it. And so that was... Yeah, and I think they probably would have updated it for the 30th had it not been the pandemic. And I think the same about the parade as well, um, yeah. which we did not see on Friday. So we will talk about that in a future episode. Yeah. So that was our firework experience. It was raining. You have myself and my friend Annika under a poncho thing, a cagoule pack type thing that we were sharing. Um, it was, yeah, it was wet and everyone was cold and tired. And at this point... We said, right, let's go back to the hotel and get dressed for dinner. And I did not know where dinner was. So we had a walk back through the village to the Newport Bay, got ready. I wore a sort of green satin Princess Jasmine inspired outfit, not knowing where we were going for dinner. I'd been promised that Hills was okay. But obviously at this point, it was really wet and disgusting. So I turned to some of my friends I was sharing a room with and said, look, I can't go out in these hills. They'll get destroyed. Like, And they were like, you're fine. Where are the hills? So I knew at this point that dinner must be in the hotel. And I have to say, that was the best decision that anyone could have made because you didn't know how tired we were going to be. You didn't know it was going to be wet. You didn't know it was going to be raining. You didn't know the faff we were going to have getting to the hotel in the first place. And I, I couldn't have left the hotel again. <laughs> Another thing, I think, actually, when we were booking it, arranging it, and we said the hotel's like, oh, really? I think because in my mind, I had this idea of just being quite kind of, kind of, eh, food, but then quite expensive. But obviously, because we were lucky that we had the half-four dining plan meant that we did have that included. Um, and with the park shutting at 7.30, and everyone was just flooding out, and ginormous lions of Planet Hollywood and Rainforest Cafe, all my least favourite places in the world. So, <laughs> I was like, so thank God we don't have to even think about trying to get in these lines right now. And at Newport Bay Club, you have um, the Yacht Club and you have the Captain Club. So you have two sides, one's a la carte, one's buffet style. Um, and 
I genuinely think it was one of the best buffet experiences of my life. It was beautiful. And obviously, with Newport Bay Club being kind of nautical themed and ocean themed, it meant that I mean, I'm a lover of eating fish. And the actual fish options were just incredible. So they had like fresh salmon, they had mackerel, they had fresh mussels and like white wine and garlic sauce. They had like romots and I even ate a snail, like a sea snail. So that was my little French moment. So I was very proud of myself. It was a bit gross, but it was, I was proud I did it. But yeah, just in terms of all the food options and then the desserts were mind blowing. Like macarons, we had like, everything was like 30 themed. It was just a really, just the range, I was so impressed. Yeah, it was incredible. And then also lots of vegan options. We mentioned there were vegetarian and vegans in the group. I was really impressed with the vegan options throughout Disneyland Paris, to be honest. Of course, there were restaurants that our friend that's a vegan couldn't eat at, but there were alternatives at other places. We just had to get smart. And I'd, I'd just never seen so much vegan food at Disneyland Paris. So I was really impressed. The meat was beautiful. I had like a pork loin thing that was cooked in honey and I was pleasantly surprised as well because obviously I knew we were going to the hotel, but I didn't know if it was Cape Cod or Yacht Club. And they said, oh, you know, it's, it's Cape Cod. And I thought, oh, buffet. I had a similar, you know, response to you. But I would say, honestly, I've had the inventions brunch at the Disneyland Hotel in Paris, which is the Sunday brunch experience they do with the rare characters and the champagne. The food was better at Cape Cod than it was at Inventions. And I honestly mean that. I was so impressed with the food at Disneyland Paris in general on this trip. They've really upped their game. But this was, I would say that if you had small children, there's probably, you know, fussy eaters. There's not an awful lot. There was the kind of beige section that had your chicken nuggets, your fries and so on. Even that, I was quite impressed with that because again, like when you have got kids who don't want to have anything fancy, it was quite good. It was just there, like... Yeah, there was. It was very clear that that was like the kids section. It was like, but even the nuggets were like Mickey shaped. And I feel like I've not seen that at Disneyland Paris and like potato, um, like croquettes in a Mickey shape. I ate one of those because I was like, I need to eat something Mickey shaped while I'm here. Um, And the pasta was like an aubergine lasagna. It was, it was just, it's so creative and fresh and Oh, such a wonderful meal. And honestly, the best decision that anybody could have made was the fact that we didn't have to leave the hotel again. Um, We had about an hour to get ready as well. So, you know, you could put on a fresh face, get a change of clothes, have a quick shower if you had time. Um, It was just, yeah, the wonderful end to quite a chaotic day. I think it was just a different pace. And it was lovely that we could all sit around together and have wine and have this delicious food. Um, It was great. Yeah, and then I think just having that, and then afterwards we had a nice little cocktail, played a few little games of guests at Disney wedding dress. We tasked everyone with our scavenger hunt, which was our Saturday and Sunday task, which will be in a future episode. Um, but I think just having that nice day just to kind of go, ah, and just have a cocktail. And again, all the cast members were incredible. Our waiter was brilliant. Um, I made sure we were all really cared for, recommended really good wine. We went for a drink afterwards. Um, the, they made a whole area for us. Um, we arrived quite late and he was like, yep, yeah, that's fine. Put all these chairs um, straight on it was service. So it was genuinely fantastic service from everyone involved. So yeah, it was a perfect end to the day. It really was. So yeah, we had the cocktails at the Captain Quarters, which is the bar that's located in Newport Bay. 
I had the glow teeny, got to get on that glow teeny so that you've got that glowing ice cube souvenir. It's the only reason I order glow teenies, honestly, but it was delicious. Um, my sister had an April spritz. There was some espresso martinis. What did you have, Dan? I had, it was, it was something, Moana something, but basically it was in like a big kind of interesting shaped ceramic glass, but it was with a dragon fruit slicing, which was really lovely, actually. Really, really nice. Yeah, and I remember, yeah, I remember one of my sister-in-laws had like a tiki drink as well that came in like a tiki cup. So really, really fun cocktails. So if you're looking for that kind of more adult experience, that cocktail experience, you know, you don't need to venture through the village trying to find somewhere. Look at your hotel because there are some amazing options that are on your doorstep. And then that's where the evening should have finished. We all had our cocktails. We were all very, very tired at this point. And we knew that we were meeting at 7 a.m. the next morning for breakfast, which is a very, very early start after a very full-on intense day. But that's not quite where my evening ended. So I think you just went back to your room and went to sleep, right, Yeah, Yeah, I was in a very sleepy room, so... Yeah, I was not. I was in a room of chaos. So one of our friends, one of my bridesmaids, Joe, she actually didn't come to cocktails because she was feeling very tired. So she'd already gone back to the room and was fast asleep by the time that myself, my sister Morgan and my friend Annika, my other bridesmaid Annika, we arrived back at the room and she was asleep and the three of us were in like a giggly hyper mood and I, I, we were talking and chatting and they'd said to me, we've got a problem and because we missed the parade today, tomorrow's plan is messed up. And there were lots of questions that they had. And again, this is because of the app. So we'd had lots of problems. I know that the guys had had lots of problems with the app, not showing firework and parade times ahead of time, which meant that they were kind of booking restaurants blindly. And it was a bit of a stab in the dark, but luckily it all worked out. But they had some questions about the Saturday that I did not have the answer to and the app did not have the answer to. And we were kind of giddy and discussing. And I said, look, this isn't fair to Joe. Joe's asleep. Let's go for a walk. Let's get it out of our system. But like when you take the dog for a walk because it's hyper, let's go for a walk, wear ourselves out and come back in half an hour. About two hours later, we arrived back. We, we essentially, we went down. The hotel was dead. We were walking around in pajamas and robes. Um, we went to concierge and met a lovely French guy called Thomas, who, if you're listening, Thomas, you massively helped enhance our experience and make sure that we had a really magical Saturday. He was able to explain what characters were going to be available for meet and greet. He gave us some tips on how to meet International Women's Day Mini, which I'll be talking about next week. He also told my sister that there was a stitch meet and greet, which she didn't know about. And she had a stitch outfit ready, which again, we'll talk about next week. So he was able to supply lots of kind of tips and tricks that really enhanced the rest of our trip. And we were sat on the floor of concierge with him until 2.30 a.m. So that is patience for you. And then I was very happy the next morning morning at seven o'clock when we were going down for breakfast and he was still on his shift um and he said did you manage to sleep and we said yes we got a few hours um which was quite funny but um yeah so a very chaotic trip for me and very limited sleep and if you want to hear more about how that Saturday unfolded you will have to tune in next week to hear the rest of the trip lots of exciting things on our Saturday so definitely worth listening to Yeah, I think, yeah, the Saturday was the only sort of full day that we had. So very jam-packed indeed. Very full on. I mean, like at 7 a.m. through to like 11 p.m. day, we're here for it. 
I only well on. Exactly. It's been a week now. It's it's we're literally recording this a week later. Yeah. And I feel like I've only just now <laughs> recovered from the sleep yeah. deprivation. I've been having lions every single day. But no, it was good. It was a full-on full on first day. But I think, again, with Paris, if you're only going for a couple of nights, you've just got to go for it. And, it's, it's, and you'll think, oh, we might have a rest. We might do this. You've just got to crack on and dive in. But yeah, it was a fantastic first day. It really was. And thank you so much, Dan, for sharing the memories with me on the Chat Disney podcast. And Dan, do you want to plug your Instagram and your Twitter for our listeners? Yeah. Um, so I'm a bit of a, as you know and heard from me chatting before, a bit of a Disney person myself. Um, so I'm on Instagram, danfry91. Um, so I've got some of my Disney memories on there. And then I'm off to Florida in May. So I'll be doing a lot of chatting about that as well. Very exciting. And that is not the end of the episode. So do stay tuned. We're going to say goodbye to Dan now, but I am now going to share with you all my full review of the brand new Disney Pixar movie, Turning Red. So Turning Red is the latest Disney Pixar movie which came to our screens a couple of Fridays ago now on Disney Plus. So once again, Disney are using this model whereby they're putting the Disney Pixar movie straight onto Disney Plus for us. We don't have to pay for any kind of premiere access. We don't have to go to the cinema to watch it. It's free and accessible and available for everybody, which is kind of music to my ears, but I do worry about the future of Pixar in general. But that's by the by. So all we really knew about Turning Red before going into the movie was what we saw in the trailer. And we could see that our main protagonist, May, was a young girl with Asian heritage, I believe Chinese heritage. And at some point in her life, as she's kind of approaching her, her teenage years and, and going through puberty and navigating that part of her life, she finds herself transformed into a red panda. And that's kind of all we really get from the trailer. We can see that the movie is definitely set in this kind of Y2K turn of the century era. There's lots of music that Tash and I have spoken about previously when we did live trailer reactions to these trailers. You know, there's Backstreet Boys in there, there's NSYNC in there. It's very obvious that the movie is paying homage to a time gone by. And, you know, I'm a millennial, I'm 30, so I absolutely am here for that kind of setting. So going into the movie, I guess initially I was really surprised that Disney have, or I should say Pixar, have actually timestamped this movie and they've actually communicated to us in the film that yes, this 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 teenager, this prepubescent girl is growing up in the noughties. That was quite surprising to me. It's not Disney's normal status quo to actually give a movie a timestamp unless it's sort of historical, like we see with Peter Pan, where that's clearly set in Victorian turn of the century London. So it was really interesting to me to see you know, very, very clearly on screen, a timestamp that told us, you know, this is the year 2000 or 2002. I can't remember exactly what year it was. So that was super interesting to me, first of all. 
The next thing that I want to just point out is that I wasn't a big, big fan of the animation style of this movie, and I thought that the narrative was quite weak. It's basically just Michael J. Fox's <laughs> Teen Wolf from the 80s, whereby, you know, we learn that, that this curse that May has that turns her into a red panda is not just coincidental, it's actually a tradition and is something that's been passed down through generation to generation on her mother's side it's kind of you know something that's synonymous with her ancestors and this is the exact same plot that we have in michael j fox in in team wolf he finds out that he is a werewolf when he's a teenager at high school and his father says yeah it's a curse the entire family has it and much the same as team wolf you know kind of rushing to the end here but the outcome is the same may learns to love her red panda self and, and sort of have the two sides of herself living seamlessly side by side and that is eventually what happens with Michael J Fox's character in Team Wolf as well. So I guess the reason I'm sort of setting this all up for you just off the bat is because I think ordinarily if there was a movie where I was saying you know I'm not that into the animation style I don't really like the narrative I think it's quite weak and quite lazy and we've seen it before then surely I don't like the movie right? But much to my surprise, I actually do quite like turning red. I think that the strong female characters that we see and the friendship and the bonds are really cool. And we just don't have anything like that in any Disney Pixar movies. So that was awesome. I actually love the whole 2000s Y2K vibe as well. I've already mentioned this, but the fashion, the music, the, you know, that was my life when I was May's age. That was totally my life. And I do wonder who this movie is for. Is this for children? Is this for millennials? Is it for the adult Disney fans, the Disney adults? I'm not quite sure, but it definitely speaks to, you know, Gen Z and and, and that demographic, that group of people are super obsessed with Y2K and 2000s, but then us older millennials can really remember being children, being preteens at that time. So I definitely think it speaks to a slightly older audience than children per se. The other reason that I really loved this movie, and I think this is the most powerful aspect of this movie, and I think it is probably one of the reasons that lots of people are struggling to relate to the film, is the fact that it really beautifully shows the family dynamic of Chinese American and Chinese Canadian, obviously this is set in Canada, families. Now I've read quite a lot of sort of Chinese fiction. Um, Amy Tan is an author that I am a big, big fan of and I studied at university. And particularly when we look at the mother-daughter dynamic, this is a thread that really, really does become very apparent in these kind of Chinese American, Chinese Canadian narratives. This power struggle between tradition and the way that things were done in China, but then being an expert and living in a more Western community and trying to fit in with that side of things and trying to explore your femininity and your creativity but also while really you know respecting your family and just being respectful generally of your culture and where you come from and this is a battle that we have seen Disney attempt previously we've got a little sprinkling of it in the Disney Pixar short bow but to see it here laid out for us in such a beautiful way I, I really 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 appreciated that and as I say I, I think that the reason I'm super aware of this is because I do have Chinese Canadian friends and colleagues and 
I have read a lot of American Chinese or Chinese American fiction. So if that part of the story was lost on you and you don't know what I'm talking about, I really do recommend you go and read some Amy Tan. Um, the Joy Luck Club is a is a book, a really great book. Um, it was a bestseller and it literally just looks at the relationships of, of Chinese mothers and daughters and, you know, especially Chinese mothers who have moved to America and then are raising American citizens and, and the differences in their experiences. So that's probably the reason that I enjoyed the movie the most. I think it really spoke to those themes in a really delicate, sensitive and, and, and amazing way. And I really do want to speak to um, somebody. I have to <laughs> get somebody on the podcast that, that you know, has experience with that firsthand because I'd love to know how the movie felt for them, not just from a representation point of view, but to really try and, and explain, you know, those family dynamics and things like that. So I loved that. I think the other thing that I really liked about the movie as well, and this is again why I say, I think it's for an adult audience. I don't think this movie is for children, is how brazen they were when talking about menstruation and periods. And we literally saw sanitary towels in a Disney animation. I mean, I never, never thought that was going to happen. And, you know, if you listen to this podcast, it should be super clear that I'm a feminist. I think that women's issues are something that we don't talk about enough. And the fact that, you know, an issue that all women go through, or most women go through a period, is being portrayed so boldly in a Disney animation for children. I think it's amazing. I don't have time for men or boys that shy away from sanitary products and refuse to, you know, look at a tampon because it might turn them into a skeleton and curse them to all eternity. I think it's really important that Disney are addressing this head on and that there are boys and girls that are going to see that scene. And maybe it's going to make them ask questions. Maybe it's going to, you know, spark a little bit of curiosity. And, and maybe there are parents who are scared of that. And if you are a parent, I'd be super curious to hear how you responded to that scene. Did it make you feel uncomfortable? Did your child ask questions? Did it kind of go over their head? I imagine it probably did. So in a nutshell, it's not my favorite Disney Pixar movie. As I say, the animation and the storyline are quite weak for me. I didn't particularly love any of the characters. I thought that the the main group of girls as a collective were really strong and powerful, but none of them really spoke to me. But I loved the relationship between May and her mother and then her grandmother and her aunts and that beautiful Canadian Chinese narrative. It was just perfect. And I love the music and the Y2K theming, the fashion and everything like that. So for me, it's a six out of 10. It might seem low, but I am notoriously quite a harsh <laughs> critic when it comes to rating these movies. I can't wait to hear what Tash thought because I know that she wasn't super into this film. But yeah, for me here today on my own on the Chat Disney podcast, it's a six out of 10 for Turning Red. And that is where I am going to wrap up today's episode. I hope you've had as much fun as I have. It was an absolute pleasure to share the episode with my very good friend Dan today and to talk a little bit about my Disneyland Paris honeymoon. And that's not all. We are, of course, going to be talking about more of the trip next week. We'll be covering what happened on Saturday, our big full day in the park. Absolutely can't wait to share this with you. And if you are really excited, you know where to find us. We'll be back here next Monday at the same time and same place. See you then. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.